0: President-elect Joe Biden is about to be one step
1: closer to the White House, with members of the Electoral College set to officially vote for him today. And So it begins, an ICU nurse at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, among the first Americans to get vaccinated in a non-trial setting.
2: Hello, I'm Katherine Tully McManus, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Monday, December 14th, 2020. Vaccine rollout has officially begun in the U.S., and we reported over the weekend that top officials at the White House, Congress, and the judicial branch will be prioritized for vaccination against COVID-19. But many questions still remain about exactly who that includes and just how many doses Capitol Hill will get. CQ Roll Call's senior correspondent, Niels Lesniewski, is here to talk through what we know and what we don't about VIP access to the vaccine. Welcome, Niels. Hello. We know that doctors, nurses, health aides are the absolute first in line to get vaccinated. But can you tell us about where in line White House employees and members of Congress seem to be based on your reporting?
1: Well, this is one of those cases where there are members of the White House staff, members of Congress, and members of the judicial branch who are probably right at the front of the line, right near the same part of the line as the uh, first responders and people who work in hospitals and in nursing homes. Uh, But we really don't know for sure. The uh, White House, through the National Security Council staff, said Sunday that there were members of the sort of essential government function operations, uh, people who are involved in the continuity of government, uh, that should be getting this vaccine uh, imminently. But we don't know exactly what imminently means, we don't know exactly how soon they will, and we don't know from where that vaccine is going to uh, originate just yet, as of this Monday afternoon you know there is an argument to be made that people who are in essential functions whether they're in the situation room or whether they're in the presidential line of succession whether you're a cabinet person or whether you're the speaker of the house or the uh, senate president pro tem uh, there is a good case to be made for for that being even beyond the normal definition of essential uh, but it certainly is going to Uh, Ruffle feathers the wrong way if, in fact, we find out that uh, other personnel, particularly in the White House, who uh, have been really, really poor about wearing masks uh, and taking social distancing seriously throughout this whole thing, uh, if folks like that end up ahead in the line, uh, that's where the tension is going to be.
2: Yeah, there's already been some pushback about the White House getting the vaccine potentially ahead of other people in the public. But what you're saying does make sense. There's a lot of succession and to keep government operating, you need a certain number of these folks to be healthy. Does the relative age of some lawmakers on Capitol Hill play into this at all? I know there's serious concern when Senator Chuck Grassley, who's 87 tested positive a few weeks ago, because he is in the line of succession. Um, He is healthy now, but can you talk about what that might mean?
1: Yeah, that's where this really becomes uh, interesting, is sort of the question of the catastrophic quorum, which is a terrible sort of term, uh, but basically The ability of Congress to function, the ability of the Supreme Court to function and of executive agencies to function, but particularly as it pertains to Congress, uh, making sure that you have enough uh, lawmakers who are healthy enough uh, to continue to operate in the event that this uh, pandemic were to get a lot worse in its spread within the halls of Congress. Uh, That's where you would wonder about the vaccine priority. Uh, But part of the question, if we use uh, Senator Grassley as our example for just a minute, some of the question is whether or not uh, he would receive a vaccine from the office of the attending physician uh, in the Capitol Uh, whether there would be some sort of other special uh, White House medical office program, uh, whether he would need to get a vaccine from uh, his local uh, health system in Iowa, uh, and whose dose of the vaccine that is. Because these vaccines were all allocated, uh, as you know, were all allocated by state level. And so, the vaccine doses that the District of Columbia got, for instance, uh, were only supposed to be for district residents who are uh, frontline healthcare workers. So, even in DC, uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser and the DC government are looking uh, at making a deal to get vaccine inventory from Virginia uh, in order to provide vaccines to people who are, say, nurses at George Washington University Hospital who live in Arlington County or in Alexandria, Virginia.
2: Wow. That is, yeah, whether Chuck Grassley is getting an Iowa vaccine or a D.C. vaccine or a special batch of federal government vaccines, um, that's an interesting question that we'll have to watch moving forward. I know back in the spring, Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell Actually turned down an offer from the White House for COVID tests for Congress, in large part due to optics. They didn't want lawmakers getting tests when, at that point in the pandemic, many medical professionals did not yet have appropriate access to testing. Do you see any chance that something similar happens with a vaccine? I know that today Chuck Schumer said he didn't want to quote skip the line. Um, could you see? them turning down vaccines for the Capitol Hill community or Congress?
1: You know, I, I think that there is a it, always a possibility that the political optics cause them to want to turn down uh, vaccines. But if I may editorialize slightly here, there's a distinction, I think, even between lawmakers and, you know, the people who Really make the capital run on a day to day basis. The folks who work in the food service, uh, who work in the House and Senate cafeterias, the people who are the ones who clean the bathrooms, who do the administrative sort of jobs as well, who are more exposed to uh, any potential uh, virus uh, and outbreak that there would be, a lot of them are lower income individuals. Uh, who wouldn't have necessarily the access even to the same uh, level of healthcare that that say Rudy Giuliani might when he uh, contracted COVID nineteen recently, uh, and so I think that the question of whether or not to reject uh, vaccines if it's offered uh, is going to be one question for members of Congress, but certainly uh, it would be a. Probably a dereliction of duty if they were to turn down vaccine possibilities, um, say, for the uh, short order cooks in the Senate uh, carryout.
2: Interesting. I've definitely also been thinking about, you know, there's more than 2,000 Capitol Police officers. Technically, they are first responders. Um, Will they be getting the vaccine ahead of some of those other Capitol Hill workers that you just talked about?
1: You know, they're, they're, that's a great question as well, because uh, the uh, first responders on and within the D.C. government, we know that the D.C. fire and E.M.S. is being uh, prioritized. And for listeners outside of the district the uh, D.C. Fire Department runs the ambulances for the city here. So they're, they're a unified system. And so that's partly why they're getting a priority, probably even largely ahead of a lot of police officers. But that does beg the question about the Capitol building, where oftentimes it is the police who will be the first line of response to any sort of medical emergency, even before people from the attending physician's office show up.
2: Absolutely. So it sounds like while we know that there is going to be some prioritization, details yet to come for who and when and all of those sorts of things, we will stay tuned. Thank you so much, Niels. Thank you. Also joining us is Sean Zeller to talk about the significant hurdles Biden will face getting his cabinet confirmed next year and the impact that Senate control still being in limbo has on that effort. Welcome, Sean.
0: It's great to be here.
2: Can you lay out the basic landscape for us that the Biden team is facing for confirmation fights for his cabinet, given that we don't yet know who's going to control the Senate next year?
0: Well, that's the key issue. Who controls the Senate? I mean, if the Democrats are able to win these two runoff races in Georgia on January 5th, the path for Joe Biden's cabinet becomes a lot easier. If they fail to win both of those, if Republicans win at least one of the two, Republicans are going to control the Senate. And that could be a big problem for him. It'll be the first time a Democratic president has taken office since Grover Cleveland, without controlling the Senate. Now, it's important because the Senate confirms all the nominees, all the president's nominees. And it comes at a bad time because the confirmation process has become incredibly partisan during Donald Trump's presidency. And Republicans, frankly, they're eager for a little payback.
2: Yeah, we saw the confirmation fights during the Trump administration and it's interesting to think about what the Biden uh, nominees could face. I know that Biden has already released a a bunch of names for who he is considering for some of these top posts. Are there any people that Biden has said he would nominate that are either kind of a home run, no matter who controls the Senate, or may face steep opposition?
0: Yes. I think the most endangered of the cabinet nominees so far is Xavier Becerra, the attorney general of California former member, Democratic member of the House from California. He is viewed by Republicans as being very political, and particularly on the health care issue, and, and Joe Biden wants him to run the Health and Human Services Department. As Attorney General of California, Becerra filed a lot of lawsuits against the Trump administration. He was a real thorn in the side of the Trump administration, and he doesn't seem to have a lot of goodwill. There's not a lot of goodwill for him on the Republican side of the aisle. So I'd say he's the number one most endangered. Uh, There are some who I think are going to sail through. Tom Vilsack, the former agriculture secretary. Uh, Biden wants him to come back for another round. I think that's going to be an easy one. but there are some other ones to watch. Nera Tandon, she's not a cabinet pick. She would run the White House Office of Management and Budget. She's the president of a liberal think tank, the Center for American Progress. And Republicans really don't like her. She's tweeted a lot of nasty things about them. And so she could be in trouble. Um, Alejandro Mahorkas at Homeland Security. I expect he'll get through but there's going to be some opposition on the republican side of the aisle tom cotton the arkansas senator has been tweeting up a storm about mahorkas's work previously during the obama administration when he ran one of the uh, Agencies within the homeland security department the the one that processes visas and issues visas and um, citizenship and the like and Cotton feels like he was overly political in that role, that he was doing political work rather than um, just running the agency. And so there will be Republican opposition to him. I don't know as though it goes to the point where his confirmation is in danger. But there are more names to come, and I expect there will be more opposition that arises.
2: Can you talk about how the process for these Biden nominees will be different from what Trump's nominees went through, whether it's because of who's in the Senate or because of what they bring to the table?
0: Well, if Republicans control the Senate, things are going to get really interesting. It's such an unusual circumstance for a president to not have his party in control of the Senate. I mean, you could see potentially long delays in the confirmation hearings for these potential cabinet members. You could see A number of them defeated on the floor. You could see some of them denied votes on the floor. I mean, it's happened before, right? Uh, Senator McConnell, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, held up a confirmation vote on a Supreme Court nominee for for many, many months. Um, And he could do the same. I don't think it'll get to that point, but I think there's going to be some tight votes and there's going to be some nominees defeated.
2: In terms of senators making their decisions about these nominees, are the senators to watch for confirmations of Biden's cabinet and other officials, the same middle of the road um, senators on each side of the aisle, the moderates, or are there other key senators that people should keep an eye on when it comes to time for these nominations?
0: Mostly the moderates, but also I think, you know, senators to have a sense of the institution for the institution and want it to run well they've been there a while they know that if they escalate things that it'll only rebound to hurt them when their party's uh, a party a president of their party is in charge. so I think the Democrats are going to vote in lockstep for Biden's nominees for the most part I mean there there is a little kerfuffle over the defense nominee because he's a former military officer. But I think on the whole, he's gonna have support of all the Democrats. And so the question then becomes, if Republicans control the Senate, will one or two of them peel off to vote for some of the more controversial nominees? And of course, you'd look to Susan Collins from Maine to provide one of those votes you'd look to Mitt Romney from Utah to provide one of those votes. And then you'd look at the institutionalists, people who are worried about the Senate becoming not working, the Senate ceasing to work, people like Rob Portman from Ohio and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. I think that those four will provide the margin for some of the more controversial nominees.
2: What do you think, if Republicans were to hold up some of these nominees, is there a tipping point? Is it, you know, maybe services from an agency not making it to their constituents? Or do you think there's growing comfort with something like we saw in the Trump administration with so many acting directors of things, acting uh, leaders of different agencies and departments, because Trump didn't want to go through the confirmation process sometimes?
0: Yeah, you said it. I mean, Trump showed the way. For Joe Biden if he has trouble getting cabinet nominees in place, which is to just name someone on an acting basis and they can serve in the role. There seem to be some drawbacks with that, that the person doesn't have the clout of a confirmed secretary, that it would be more difficult for them to carry out you know, more far-reaching regulations or more, more difficult and controversial policy changes because they don't have the Senate's confirmation behind them. I don't know if there's anything to that. I mean, the bottom line is if the now, if the acting person has the support of the president, then they're gonna be able to proceed. So I think we may well see more of that.
2: Thank you so much, Sean. This was really helpful. Thanks for joining us.
0: It was my pleasure. Thanks, KTM.
2: From everyone here at the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thanks for listening and tune in again tomorrow for another episode of The Transition.